morning, folks. It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. Uh, Steve Williamson here. Um, Karen McClellan, I think that's who you are. Yeah. Yes, yes, you're, <laughs> you're so. sitting across from me. I, I've seen you quite a bit lately, so I figure that, you know, that, there, that, that um, um, you're here to help us do the interview. And we have with us today uh, Stephen Hanks. And Stephen Hanks is, is uh, joining us as co-hosting the show. And Stephen's a more recent arrival, been here about a year in Arizona, uh, comes here from New York, has a background in promoting things and doing things. And so they put him in charge of all the really difficult stuff, which is to promote <laughs> democratic ideals here in Arizona. Um, and uh, he's found our guest today. And so um, I think I'm going to have him introduce her. Stephen, is that all right? And yeah. you can uh, tell us a little bit about her. Uh, we have somebody on the phone, folks. All right. Uh, so our, our guest today on the show is Jennifer Cohen. Jennifer has been a prolific writer um, and very ubiquitous um, presence on social media, focusing in the past on election integrity, which she still does and which is very important. But she's recently um, trained her focus on the growing um, situation in the country with Christian um, nationalism. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we're at a point where a lot of the focus, um, among, uh, Democrats and progressives and what was happening in the country had to do with the white supremacy movement, but now we've got this Christian nationalism brewing. Um, Jennifer just wrote a, uh, really impactful piece for the Bucks County Beacon in Pennsylvania, and I just want to read a couple of highlights from it to get the conversation launched because it'll give uh, our listeners uh, a way to understand what's happening uh, around the country with this movement and who's involved. So Jennifer wrote about an organization called the New Apostolic Reformation, which is a rapidly accelerating and dangerously underreported worldwide Christian authoritarian movement. It practices faith healing and exorcism and promotes dominism, uh, a belief that Christians must can take control of government, business, and culture in order for Jesus to return to earth. And I'm reading directly from her piece. Um, uh, NAR got its name from a, a guy who died in 2016 uh, named C. Peter Wagner who is an apostle of the group, and he wrote in 2011, NAR embraces the largest non-Catholic segment of global Christianity, the fastest growing segment, and the only segment of Christianity currently growing faster than the world population and faster than Islam. The NAR also opposes freedom of religion, teaching instead that Christians must exert, exert dominion over all aspects of our society. They have pillars in their organization, which they plan to rule as king, seven pillars, where they want to take control of business, government, family, religion, the media, education, 
and entertainment. They call these the seven mountains mandate. And as Jennifer wrote, as one might expect, the NAR rapidly opposes LGBTQ rights and abortion access. So, Jennifer, um, I, I want to ask you, uh, after reading this, you know, when I, I wrote an essay um, a little bit before the 2016 election saying that even if Hillary Clinton won, which I was assuming then that she would, that uh, the biggest threat to the country was white supremacy. Um, I always thought that uh, evangelical Christianity was kind of a subset of that, um, that that was a movement that was being used by the white supremacists and that they weren't quite as powerful as the white supremacy movement. Now, after reading your piece and given some of the candidates running for election, specifically Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania, um, I'm starting to get as concerned about this as I was the white supremacy. So how do you assess the differences in these two movements and are they differences or are they inextricably linked and a danger to democracy as we know it? Hi, Stephen. That is a very interesting issue that I thought about delving into for this particular piece that I just published. I may do a follow-up piece on it, which will require more research, but there is absolutely an overlap between the Christian right and white supremacy or white nationalism. So, for example, you have a guy like Nick Fuentes, who's the head of the America First movement mm -hmm. and recently held his own sort of um, parallel conference to CPAC, where he made a joke about Putin, people are saying Putin's like Hitler as if that's a bad thing. And that's, so he's, he's sort of the big white nationalist leader that the right is gravitating to because he hasn't taken it as far as, for example, Nazi salutes. Now, that, that would be sort of their, they can't have plausible deniability if a guy throws Nazi salutes, but if the guy pretends to be joking when he says all this stuff or says it with a laugh, he, anyway, he was a big presence, for example, at the Jericho March in December 2020 which was a stop the steal event that had a lot of Christian um, a lot of Christian signs and a lot of Christian t-shirts and uh, a giant Christian cross and in fact his followers who were Groypers helped hoist this giant wooden cross during that event and so that's just one example of how there's overlap I think historically white supremacists have often used religion to justify their beliefs and slavery would be another example of that the Slave owners always claim to be these great Christians, and it can you can really abuse a re religion to hide and to justify a whole um, panoply of sins, sinful behavior. So I think there is absolutely an overlap, but it's not complete. And apparently, from what I understand, this group that I covered, the New Apo Ap Apostolic Reformation, the NAR. Mm -hmm. actually has been doing outreach to the Latino community in particular and also to the African-American community. Yeah. So it's a little more complicated than to say that they're, that they're all white supremacists. And, and, you know, one of the things that's so bizarre about the person that they are wrapping um, their movement around and their, and their hopes for power around is the person who may be the least religious person in the country, the former president of the United States, um, who claimed to read the Bible but then didn't 
wasn't able to quote anything out of it. And as long as we're bringing up Trump, I think people should know, and you can amplify this, so a, a number of the people that are involved in this movement are the usual suspects, as we should probably refer to them now, um, that are Donald Trump's acolytes and cohorts like Michael Flynn, Roger Stone, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert. You know, the list goes on and on of, of these uh, creatures is the best name I can use for them who um, are are working with these movements. Um, can you talk a little bit about exactly like where where their role is in this or are they just sort of manipulating them and using them? Well, I think there's a few things going on. The NAR was formed in about 1996, or it was not formed. It's not a group, it's a movement, um, which is an important distinction. Mm -hmm. But the movement was identified in 1996, and it was organized in 1996 by C. Peter Wagner, who you mentioned. And they have these extensive overlapping prayer networks while also being very, very overtly political. And the prayer networks are a pretty obvious vehicle that could be used for voter outreach, and I'm quite certain that they are to a large extent. So that may be a huge part of the allure of these, um, these prayer networks, and the fact this is very related to the evangelical movement and is maybe even, you could argue, I think it's probably a subset or the fastest and most influential subset of the evangelical movement. Those are some really hardcore voters. So although they make up only about 13% of the population, I believe, they, they comprise about 26 or 27% of the voters. So they're very motivated voters, and I think those two things are going on. The specific areas where I noticed um, this sort of alliance between bad actors like Michael Flynn, or, you know, the retired General Michael Flynn and longtime Trump advisor Roger Stone are, number one, there is a tour that's been going across the country um, April last year, and it's called the Reawaken America Tour, which I abbreviated to RAT in my piece. <laughs> um, and uh, it's sponsored by a publication called Charisma News. And Charisma News was founded by a NAR apostle, a guy named Steve Strang. So this is really a NAR-sponsored event that is showcasing, in particular, Mike Flynn is one of the is really the top promoted speaker on the circuit. Um, and then Roger Stone is also on the circuit. And kind of all the worst of the worst people that you can imagine that sort of promote the same things that Michael Flynn and Roger Stone promote, you mentioned some of them, are on this circuit, on top of NAR apostles. So there's a couple of NAR apostles who also speak on the circuit. So that was sort of one of the first overlaps that I was able to identify. But there were several Um Dating back to before January sixth, uh, do you find that uh, that they're getting involved in financing uh, local state uh, state legislature campaigns ar- around the country, especially in red states? Given the fact that um, there's so much infiltration of evangelical Christians in state legislatures around the country. I have not found that specifically, but I strongly suspect that to be the case. There's an organization called Kislak, I think I'm pronouncing it right, 
that I put into the piece that I mentioned in the piece, and it's related to a nonprofit called United in Purpose, which I've had my eye on for a while because they were connected to two large, like massive, voter data leaks a few years ago, identified by a researcher um, named Chris Vickery, who I'm, I'm friends with, and started a fundraising Christian group called, if I'm pronouncing it right, Kislag. It's in my article, though, spelled correctly. And Mike Lindell is a part of that, and he's also very connected to these, the top NAR apostles. And his, he was just, in fact, photographed yesterday. He had some kind of symposium. This, again, this is Mike Lindell. He had a symposium where he was photographed with NAR apostle Lance Walnow, who seems to be one of the most prolific pro-Trump NAR apostles in the movement. And... Um, it's, it's sort of a, it's been described as a, like a multi-millionaires club for Christians. You have to have at least 25 million in assets to belong to it. And it has funded, for example, um, Charlie Kirk's Turning Point USA, which I believe is Arizona. Based. It's based right? here in Arizona yeah. in Phoenix, yeah. Right. And I, I'm fairly certain that it is NAR connected, um, and probably funding candidates around helping to fund candidates around the country. But I imagine it's not just these multimillionaires that are providing the funding. I'm sure that they get, they lure in other people. No, they have yeah, a, they have a much broader base than, yeah. than just millionaires. And yeah. Christian nationalism is, it's a lot of different ways of, uh, has been around for a long time. And, uh, uh, what do you think is the difference? Let's talk a little bit about the difference between Christian nationalism and white nationalism, where they overlap and where they don't overlap. And obviously you mentioned a couple of things uh, that uh, they're reaching out to Latinos and to uh, black Americans to try to uh, get a uh, uh, fundamentalist vote. So there's, you know, I, for those folks who are not really up on it, there's the fundamentalism. There's like I'm a Christian conservative, I'm a fundamentalist, I believe in, in a whole series of things. That's a little different, right, Jennifer, than Christian nationalism. In other words, uh, being a conservative, right-wing, I believe in Christianity, I think this is a Christian nation, begins to edge over to Christian nationalism. But it seems to me that Christian nationalism takes the Christian flag and flies it really much higher and much more prominently than a lot of the conservative religious folks do. Um, so in a way I'm sort of moving, I personally think a better term is Christian dominionism because I think it's more specific and easier to understand. Christian nationalism I think is more about national identity. So there's going to be a significant overlap between that and Christian dominionism. So Christian nationalism means you see America as a as having been founded as a Christian country and being primarily a Christian country, and you think that's a good thing. Christian dominionism is more specific and ratches that up, and that is, as you mentioned, and as I wrote in my article, the belief that Christians must take control of the seven pillars of our society, which include government and education and media and so on in order for Jesus to return to earth. That this is a biblical, or this is a mandate from heaven, and that they must do this. And this involves also converting other people to Christianity. And that is what the NAR very explicitly endorses. And all of the NAR apostles in the movement 
specifically endorse this, and it's sometimes called the Seven Mountains Mandate. So that's, I think, a little more clear and a little more frightening even than just saying Christian nationalism, which to me is a little bit fuzzy, um, a little bit fuzzier. Yeah, the Dominionists have felt that... uh, you know, that Christians are the only ones who should be running right. for office and that all elected office should be held by, by Christians. And there was some recent comment by, I think it was Martin, you know, Bobert, you know, there is no wall between church and state. It's all fake that the, the government should be explicitly a theocratic government where all of the power and the actual elected officials all, you know, like some said in the last election, I'm a Christian. I'm, you know, an American. I'm a Christian first and an American second, and that that's the mindset. So that's is really leading towards the idea of a, of a truly theocratic government, not just the sort of the idea that uh, the Ten Commandments somehow inspired the Constitution. This is, you know, a much more specific thing because it's it's a very specific, pretty much Protestant Christian organization, which excludes than a lot of other people who view themselves as conservative Christians but who are not Protestants. It's, you know, it would be a, a much narrower viewpoint on some of these people that it should be Christians with a capital C, not Catholics, not Mormons, you know, but Christians in the Protestant so sense. So this who is are, a hardcore The thing though that's scary though is it actually yes. is not, well, many things are scary, but it is non-denominational expressly. Yeah. And in fact, I left this part off and I, I'm going to go back in and have them put it in. It in. <laughs> which is in that Watchman decree that I opened my piece with, where you had the four men, two of whom are definitely Nara apostles, standing on stage, reciting this decree about their intentions to take dominion over mm-hmm. the country. Um, one of the things they specifically say is that they will reach across denomination. They will, they will proceed across denomination without regard to denomination mm-hmm. to achieve their goal. And so that actually they expand their net, and that is partly why I think it's such an expand, a, a rapidly expanding movement is because it is non-denominational. I think some of the leaders, and perhaps many of them, um, are uh, Protestant evangelicals, but they open their doors to everyone. And I think there was a bias, perhaps, against Catholics and Mormons, but I believe that it appears to me anyway that they are putting that aside to a certain extent, to achieve their goals. They seem to be forming an alliance. For example, they're welcoming of, you know, the, the Constitutional Sheriff and Peace Officers Association that is led by Sheriff Mack. I believe he's Mormon. And yeah, he's, he's, he's actually Bannon, from rural Arizona. He was a county sheriff in Navajo County, I believe, but a rural Arizona county, and he could be more an area where a lot of the residents do happen to be descendants of Mormon settlers from the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. certainly over in right. Eastern Arizona. Right, so I think they're trying to sort of be the umbrella movement mm-hmm. for a lot of things. And I've even noticed that Steve Bannon, who has been working the parallel traditional Catholicism movement that hates the current Pope for being too moderate and compassionate, that he has spoke at some of the NAR pre-January 6th, um, or at least one of them, pre-January 6th events. There was a global prayer for election integrity that lasted, I believe, for weeks, and they had a lot of people come on to speak about alleged their take on election integrity, which was, of course, bogus, but Steve Bannon was one of those people, and yet he, um, historically, in the past several years, has really been pushing the traditional Catholic movement, not so much the NAR. Jennifer, um, I didn't notice it in your piece, I didn't notice any reference to whether or not the, this group or this movement um, is put is uh, pushing anti-Semitism. Um, 
Now, my my guess is, and I could be wrong, that that may have something to do with the whole evangelical um, idea that we're going to support Israel um, because of the whole biblical end times thing that they're so into. And and frankly, a lot of state legislature legislators in in red states are are passing laws based on that, like the laws about not wanting to boycott Israel, for instance. But what what's what, what do you find about their view on 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 Jews? Well, I didn't put this in the piece because it seemed like a whole other very extensive area of inquiry. But what I was told by several experts is that they're fine with Jews as long as they convert. <laughs> so, and apparently they do, that this is a lot of, this is what I was told by a few experts, that converting Jews is a lot of what they spend time on, in particular in Israel. So they support Israel, Israel for biblical reasons. Right. And then they do believe that Jews need to convert. Do you have any idea what... Um I have to I have to imagine that not every evangelical Christian in the country is aware of this movement. Um and maybe there's a, a large part of them that don't. Is is a lot of their efforts um to educating evangelicals around the country to for them to be part of this or are most evangelicals already aware of it? Well, the NAR I think starting around 2011, started to actually get some media attention. And so they went much more stealth. So they don't tend to publicly use the term NAR anymore, but it is a collection of core beliefs. And you can even trace people who are definitively in the NAR by looking at the original organizations that were founded by C. Peter Wagner, who is really the father of the movement. Mm -hmm. And there are quite a few of these organizations that he was the head of, and he absolutely was NAR, and he identified these core um, elements of it, one of the most dangerous of which is the dominionism, the Seven Mountains Mandate. And you can, those lists are now secret, they won't publish them anymore, but there are some older lists from that I included in my article from 2006, 2010, and 2017, and you can see that a lot of these uh, people who do sometimes call themselves apostles, sometimes they even keep that on the down low. But these people who are out there preaching all of these you know, faith healing and exorcism and the seven mountains, like the men on that stage, they are on those lists. So it's a movement, but it is a largely stealth movement. And what's, I think it's important to identify it by name so that to give people sort of a more concrete idea that there actually is this thing out there and that it's not um, sort of a figment of, of the imagination. But they will deny having heard of the NAR. In fact, someone just sent me um, a screenshot today from Gab, Roger Stone, who absolutely, he's appeared on the Elijah list, I believe twice, which was founded by a NAR apostle named Steve Schultz. He's on one of those lists. In fact, he's on one of the most exclusive lists which is the Apostolic Council for something elders, um, ACPE. It's also in my article. And um, he's appeared on their list to discuss a demonic portal that he claims to have seen above the White House. That oh, in his thing, now we know. delusional or something, he's never even heard of this movement. That's the game that they play. But the movement is real. The movement exists. And certainly the ideas are real. And Steve Schultz, who owns the Elijah list, 
He's absolutely promoted Seven Mountains Dominionism, and he's absolutely a part of that movement. It would seem so, like um, some of this so is... They, they infiltrate, to answer your question, I'm sorry, they infiltrate churches, and they won't announce that, hi, we're NAR, we're here. They sort of slowly um, bring people over to their side, and I think that the the there are a lot of unsuspecting Christians who then get sort of lured over into the NAR without realizing what's happening, really. Yeah, it's a way of, of making it sound like this, that this is... demons and to engage in spiritual yeah. warfare and... Um, and the Democrats are demons, and Trump was God-chosen, and suddenly we've got the Seven Mountains mandate, and so you're trying to wait for the church to shoot them out. Got what is essentially, in, in many ways, you know, some of this Pentecostal sort of viewpoint, you know, religious uh, of Christianity, which has never been a, you know, a majority of some things. If you keep your organization, then people don't think there's an organization. You can present yourself as a worldwide or nationwide movement of religious people as opposed to a directed movement with a specific political end. And so people can just say this is just an upright, uh, you know, a moral uprising. This is just the view of Christians with a small C, yes. and it's not, an, it's not organized. It's, it's not really a, a, movement, a movement towards a very authoritarian endpoint at which the government will be organized by these very conservative Christians of one, you know, this sort of Pentecostal, Friday, and they should be the ones making the decisions for the rest of us. They use right, the, the language of um, they use but the yes. language that's very dear to uh, Pentecostal Pentecostal and uh, conservative religious people. Um, in that sense, it's infiltrated in that they take the language and sort of put on the robes and the costume of a religion that's familiar to many people. You know, where I come from, it's the dominant religion. Uh, uh, and they, they've taken that feeling that the United States is a Christian nation, which you can read in all kinds of different ways. I mean, it was founded by Christians and all this sort of stuff. And they've taken it and they've, uh, what would you call it? They, they've basically... Charismatic? Yeah, they've, they've uh, weaponized it, I think <laughs> is the word. They've weaponized some of these Christian ideas and then they've taken the Christian ideas that were in the mix and pulled out some of them to use as, as, right. as a way to fight. You know, I, I want to follow up. Very on similar to the GOP, the infiltration of the GOP by Roger Stone and the sort yeah. of MAGA yeah. movement. Those were not really Republicans. There are, you know, maybe some version of libertarians, right. but they infiltrated it and they took it over. And that is very much what the NAR does. And they don't announce we're the NAR and we're here to infiltrate and take you over. They say we're Christians, we're all Christians, and they make it easy, by the way, because a lot of their prayer networks, you don't have to go to church. It's online, and you maybe pay or don't pay, but you pay to be able to pray with them and to get their channel and to attend their services online. Sometimes they have mega churches, though, too. That's a big part of it. Yeah. I want to pick up on, on something that Steve just brought up. Uh, and This morning, after I was reading your piece for the second time to prepare for this, um, Right after I got through reading it, I was watching more, the beginning of Morning Joe and on MSNBC, and he had um, the writer David French from The Dispatch, who writes about politics and, and religion, and he posted a piece today titled, Christian Political Ethics Are Upside Down. And one of the things he talked about was contrasting the Christian uh, movement of the MAGA right 
as it exists today with the civil rights movement in the 60s, which he said, and I agree with him, at its core was about Christian values. It confronted an injustice of Jim Crow with the ethic of nonviolence. They talked about love and grace, etc. And now we have this MAGA movement claiming a national emergency, which doesn't exist, and has abandoned the most basic requirements of human distancy, decency. So um, it, it, it appears to me, and, and you can amplify this, that, that white evangelicalism and what we're talking about with this movement is basically more about republicanism and political and social um, and cultural change than it is at all about religion. Um, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. It is, it is a bastardization, perhaps, of religion, because as many people pointed out, what they stand for is not what Jesus stood for. But they very much consider themselves Christians, and I wouldn't be one to say they're not, it's not about religion. They're, it is a, an ex- very extreme bastardization, I believe, of Christianity, but it is, it is a subset of a really massive movement, by the way, the, the overall Pentecostal charismatic movement. The charismatics are the people who believe that by getting baptized, you get, you're fulfilled with the Holy Spirit, and that means that you as a, as a baptized believer have sp- supernatural powers. So, for example, the power of prophecy to have God help you predict, the, tell you what the future holds. And then you've got faith healing and uh, exorcism. So they, they believe that they can chase, they can and they must chase away demons who are engaged in active spiritual warfare. That is a very much a NAR term. And, um, in fact, that's actually how I was a, one of the things that was just bothering me because Mike Flynn kept talking about spiritual warfare. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what is that? And that's a NAR. That comes from the NAR. They all talk about his dog whistling to them. And he did it on their tour, the Reawaken America tour that's sponsored by the NAR apostle, Steve Strang, through Charisma News. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know that I would say it's, it's not about religion or that it's really about white supremacy. It's about control and it's about power, and that is very much not, right. as I understand it, what Jesus did. I, I should say, as someone who comes from a Pentecostal area that, that uh, where there is a strong Pentecostal movement among fundamentalist Protestants, that Pentecostalism traditionally is a very, very small part of, uh, of uh, Christian fundamentalism. It's, it's sort of like in Islam, the, the kind of Islam that we see turned into this ferocious fighting Islam. We're once quietist. We're once people who, who, who didn't want to be involved in politics. And when I was growing up, Pentecostalists were completely outside doing any kind of politics. They were absorbed in their religious practices. Those practices really, I've been a long time since I lived in Oklahoma, but those don't really extend to most Protestants, actually. The, the language, um, right? But, oh, does, I but, forgot uh, to mention this. This was really, really important. The Pentecostal Charismatic Movement is the fastest-moving segment in Christianity, and it has estimated by the Pew uh, Research Center 600 million adherents worldwide, and quite a few, many in the United States. I can't remember what the number was, but it was a shockingly high number. So, a lot of the people now who are calling themselves even, who are evangelical Christians, apparently, are either have been infiltrated and weighed by this movement that doesn't identify itself by name publicly anymore. 
but they're being sort of swayed into this movement. And it is a, it is not just a tiny movement. It is a very large movement that is quite powerful. And they are pushing very heavily, by the way, for Doug Mastriano in Pennsylvania to be governor of that state because Pennsylvania has the most, um, has the most electoral votes of any swing state other than Florida, which already has, you know, you have the, sort of the religious right having trifecta control in Florida. In Pennsylvania, the governorship is the only thing that is keeping that at bay and because they have a Democratic governor right now. But they want Mastriano, who works very closely with an apostle named Abby Abeldness, whose express oh. job, on, according to her book, she just took this off her website this week, I think, but is she spreads the prayer network of, a, of an official NAR-apostle named Cindy Jacobs. Yeah, um, I, it's still, so it's, still, it's not, Pentecostalism is very widely spread, and it's spread to other Protestants. This is Protestant, not necessarily Pentecostalism, though. But it's, it's a separate stream of, of Protestant Christianity, a fundamentalist, or I don't know how they would characterize themselves anymore, Christianity. It's from the Pentecostal and charismatic streams, both of them. It's sort of a common, it, it emerged from that, but it's non-denominational and therefore broader, I think, that it, it encompass more. It seems to me what you're talking here, like uh, people using the word spiritual warfare, it's co-opted the language, which is the language of Christian revivals and Pentecostals, which was meant to refer to your interior. Right. Yeah. You know, you battling yourself in your mind with with you know to become closer it's to like God. Jihad it was, is supposed to it be was not. Process. Yeah, it was an inter, your internal relationship, personal with God, as opposed to a political slogan, you know, to go out and and do something in the political world. And this is so the 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 language. I can see the language of this is language which lots of people are familiar with because they've heard it, or it, raised with it, raised with it, heard it. But it it started out with a thing that was you know decades ago was talking about your internal viewpoint on becoming a better person and a closer relationship with God. Now it's it's to go out and and elect a certain person or go out and vote a certain way or go out and you know donate money not to the church but to an organization that's got a, an overt political bent, which is sort of the, the change in the that, recent times. That, and they use it also to scare people and tell them that the actual demons are fighting a spiritual warfare against Trump and that they are supporting Biden, for example, and Democrats and environmentalists. I've seen that. And they actually do go out into towns and try to pray away the demons, apparently. So Operation Valkyrie, which was organized by a NAR apostle, named uh, Dutch Sheets, who's one of the men standing on that stage that I opened the article with that's, you know, preaching about the Seven Mountains mandate and how they're going to take their legal authority from heaven and everything. Um, anyway, that, that he is a big proponent of that. Jennifer, do you think that, uh, that this movement um, is as much into domestic terrorism as uh, some of the white supremacy groups that attack the Capitol are? Um, I'm not sure which white supremacy groups you mean, but well, like the Proud Boys and you know the the people that Roger Stone and all. They all oh, get all okay, the- so I wouldn't call those necessary. This is sort of the same thing. They so the Proud Boys, for example, are not a white. They're an ex, They're a gang. Is really what mm-hmm. they are. They're a pro-Trump MAGA movement gang. Right. Um, I wouldn't call them white supremacists, although I think they they absolutely include white supremacists. They certainly work with white supremacists toward their goal, which is to have their team win, which is, I guess, Team Trump, Team MAGA, whatever Roger Stone says. What really concerned me, so I study Roger Stone very extensively, which was 
that was actually not how I originally got into the NAR, but it suddenly made sense because I'd seen Roger Stone talking about this demonic portal, and I just thought, God, you know, Roger Stone, whatever. I, you know, he's he's I think much more dangerous than is appreciated. But that particular comment, it just bothered me. It kind of stuck with me, and then I then I was able to rope it to the NAR. He actually made those comments on the Elijah list, which is owned by the NAR apostle, NAR apostle. And I think that alliance is incredibly dangerous because it's not so much that Proud Boys are in the movement, exactly. It's not that. They've formed very close alliances with people like Roger Stone, who is the number one person who gave us the Proud Boys, really. He mm-hmm. didn't, I don't think he, he didn't found them. His good friend founded them, technically. But he's the one who mainstreamed them. He's the one who publicly cavorted with them for four years. He's the one who was super close with the two um, top leaders of the organization, Enrique Tario and Joe Biggs, who have been indicted for seditious conspiracy for allegedly leading the assault on the Capitol. So they're forming, the NAR leaders are forming alliances with very dangerous people with those connections mm. toward violent extremist groups. Who are and probably as cynical as Donald Trump. Why don't you re- review right. for us what are the elements of, of Christian dominism or, or this Christian nationalism that you're talking about? Because I suspect that the country is filled with a hundred different groups with a hundred different ideas, but what do they have in common? What's the difference between I'm a uh, Christian fundamentalist and I think we should go to the, back to the old values, you know, uh, one man, one woman, you know, the whole thing. What's the difference between that and what you see as this Christian nationalism? Christian dominionism. dominionism. Um, It's the idea of exerting actual control over all pillars of society. And I think you read the quote that you have the guy that founded the movement. He identified it by name. He noticed that there were all of these religious leaders, charismatic, meaning faith healing and exorcisms, and they had all that in common. But they also had in common this idea that that Christians must exert control over the world in order to bring Jesus back to earth. And he named it as the NAR, and that is um, that is a very specific thing, and I think it is becoming increasingly popular. Perhaps, I don't know to what extent Christ, mainstream Christians um, embrace that. I'm going to guess a lot of them don't, but there's not enough pushback by the religious leaders against this movement toward dominionism. Whether you call it the NAR or not, that element of the NAR, the Seven Mountains Mandate, people know about that. That is actually named. And in fact, the people standing on stage at that event in Georgia in July of this year with the, the NAR apostles, um, they used, they said, we will take control of the Seven Mountains Mandate permanently. And that is the goal. And so, you know, how many people are willing to admit it? I don't know. These pe- The people who have always been a part of this movement, certainly seem emboldened to say it out loud. And you increasingly have these very corrupt, dangerous MAGA influencers using their same language. And that was, again, Michael Flynn, the retired general, who has a background in irregular warfare. He's bragged about it. He spread conspiracy theories already, like QAnon and Pizzagate, that the Department of Justice has, has called a domestic terrorism threat, and yet he's faced no consequences. And he is speaking in this language, we need to have only one religion. So they certainly are emboldened through well, their connection. Trump pardoned him. I mean, he was convicted. Influential, dangerous people. He was convicted 
and uh, Trump pardoned him. I mean, he, it's and not John, like and he, Roger Stone it, as well, both of them. Yeah, exactly. Right. Jennifer, do you see at all this being able to be tamped down? Um, I, I don't. I, it might be just too simplistic to say. Well, yes, if Democrats win elections in the midterms and in 2024, uh, a group like this or a movement like this will go back into the shadows where they belong. Or is it inevitable that they're just going to keep growing? I, I, you know, I don't really know the answer to that. What my feeling in writing the article was that regardless of political party, most Americans, I feel pretty confident saying they do not want to live in a theocracy where mm-hmm. Christian rules all seven, you know, Christianity rules all, strictly rules all seven aspects of our society. And I, I thought most Americans could agree on that and that it was very important, even for Republicans, to know that this is actually really truly what the MAGA movement is now aligning with. Whether they believe it themselves or not, I don't know, but they are willing to empower these people to get power themselves. And, um, I forgot actually what your original question was, but I actually wrote this article. Part of the reason why it ended up being so long is I was trying to look at it from the perspective of someone candidly like my brother, who is a bit of a Trump supporter, because they won't believe it unless they hear it in these people's own words. And so I really, instead of just saying, this is what they stand for and have me just say it or me quote someone just saying it, I wanted them to hear their own words, and so I included those in the piece. But I'm sorry, I forgot actually what your original question was. Well, just whether or not the growth is inevitable or could they be, is there a way to, uh, you know, put put them back in a corner somewhere, especially if we win elections, when I say we, Democrats, I'm exposing my partisanship there. Right. uh, or, or is this just a, a growth that's going to continue to happen in that community? Um, they're play, very much playing the long game. At least, at least they, they are they believers. I think they are believers, and I don't think they're ever going to let it go. Um, so, no, I don't think it'll go away. Whether it will be as overt, I don't know, but they've already pretty much captured the Supreme Court. I'm not saying that the Supreme Court justices um, who are, have this really strong Christian bent are in the movement ex- expressly. One thing that's tricky about the movement is that, again, they will often now deny it even exists, which is ridiculous because mm-hmm. see Peter Wagner named it and they're in his organization. But you won't have a Supreme Court justice being in those organizations because the organizations that exist, that are NAR, the NAR is just a movement, but then you have these NAR organizations that are actual, you can sort of have concrete proof, right? You're not going to have a Supreme Court justice being in there because those are for the NAR apostles. Right. Jennifer, so, unbelievably, we have run out of time. <laughs> Sorry, 45 minutes goes by really quickly. Uh, it does. I want to really thank you to be a... Uh, with us, we've got a, a couple announcements here. We we really want to thank our supporters. I mean, uh, we pay for our airtime. Uh, uh, if without the kind of support we got in our fundraiser, we would not still be on the air. But we really got a help from a lot of people. And I think it's Stephen. You want to talk about Door Democrats of Red Rocks, and they've got a new. It's a great movie if you haven't seen it, folks. Yeah, just really quick, um, on September 16th at 7 p.m., Dora is sponsoring a showing of the classic 1960 film Inherit the Wind uh, at at, uh, the Sedona International Film Festival, Mary D. Fisher Theater. Um, Obviously, the motivation there is to uh, 
raise the issue of what's going on around the country in terms of book bannings, et cetera, et cetera, and, and showing how that movie has resonance today. And it's a, a, based on a very famous trial, trial in American sure. history. About the teaching of evolution, right. so it goes yeah. back to you know, what uh, can it, you teach in the schools. Right. Yeah. Any other door announcement? I'd like to thank the Yavapai Democratic Party. Uh, they put out a wonderful newsletter. I just sent them a, a thank you. All right, folks, I guess we really, really are out of time. I'm getting hands waved at me. Uh, this show and all our other shows are available on podcast at vvid.org. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.